As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, the show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. And boy, have we got a lot to discuss today as Thomas Tuchel is sacked as manager just seven games into the new season. We'll also get into the start of the new WSL campaign and more. A packed show then, so let's crack on. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Another quiet week in the life of Chelsea Football Club then listener. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, here to talk it all through, along with the Athletics Chelsea expert, Simon Johnson, uh, a busy man for the last 24, 48 hours. Yeah, it's been fun. I, I think the highlight is, if you had the delights of following me on Twitter, was the, oh, housekeeping, uh, kicking me out of my Zagreb hotel room uh, whilst trying to make calls on a rather big story. But hello, everyone. I'm back. Dominic Fifield's also back with us. How are you doing, Dom? I'm fine. <laughs> I don't get housekeeping where I live. <laughs> no, no, nor me. Um, well, as they say, the boy's been very busy over the last 24 hours, as you would expect. Simon's been delaying Croatian chambermaids whilst Dom's written a piece <laughs> on uh, Chelsea's new owners. Be careful how you phrase that. <laughs> <laughs> it was on Wednesday morning then, mere hours after the Chelsea plane touched down in England from Croatia that Thomas Tuchel was summoned to a meeting where he was relieved of his duties. A Chelsea statement was swiftly issued. It said, on behalf of everyone at Chelsea FC, the club would like to place on record its gratitude to Thomas and his staff for all their efforts during their time with the club. Thomas will rightly have a place in Chelsea's history after winning the Champions League, the Super Cup and the Club World Cup in his time here. Uh, there was more, but that's basically all you need to know. Um, Simon, so you were presumably still in Croatia when this broke. Tell me your, your initial reaction when you first heard and, and how you feel about the decision now, 24 hours later. Um, surprised and not surprised. Without saying uh, like why, being wise after the event, you were getting rumblings discontent for a while. And, and, and that's why it was really awkward sort of how to write a few pieces that I've written recently because you were sort of going, well, in normal times, in the Abramovich era, you'd be going a lot stronger than this. But because they're new owners and they'd you got the, painted this picture in the summer that this was going to, they love Thomas Tuchel, it's all about long-term stability, it wasn't going to be the hiring, firing, ruthlessness of the previous regime. You thought, okay, there are worrying signs that you're hearing about, but... It's new owners. We, we don't know how they're going to react to, to, to this situation. And that's why I wrote a few pieces, if, if, you, if you've read them after the matches, for example, it'd be crazy to hand him a new contract right now um, when there were suggestions of him getting a new contract. Uh, the piece I wrote, um, funny enough, from Zagreb was, this guy has run out of ideas, essentially. He, he's just throwing darts out there, ho hoping something will stick. But he deserves more time. And I think I, I still stand by that. I, I still sort of think it's very harsh. But this is what these people are. This is how they run their businesses. If they see a problem, they act. And if you think about how they've dealt with players that perhaps the previous regime would be, oh, okay, let's give Ross Barkley another year extension and try and loan him somewhere. Let's keep Michy Batshuayi, give him another contract, loan him out somewhere. 
They've come in. Romelu Lukaku is actually the best example. They saw a problem. They got him out of there. And look at Bruce Bart Marina. Got rid of them. We just didn't expect... I didn't expect them to be this ruthless with Thomas Tuchel this soon. But the rumblings were there. I mean, we, we wrote a piece, which I put together back in January, if you remember, celebrating Thomas, rightly so, celebrating Thomas Tuchel's one-year anniversary in charge as manager. And the majority of it was positive, but there was a very sizable section which talked about how Thomas Tuchel, certainly the, the attacking players, the majority of them were wanting to leave that it wasn't just problems with Lukaku, that players were struggling to enjoy sort of playing under him, um, certainly the attacking players. We've seen, obviously, Werner follow Lukaku out the door. We all know that sort of it's pretty obvious Ziyech and, and Pulisic weren't particularly um, best buds with him. So th- there was mounting evidence. And then, of course, subsequently in the last, when you make calls on this, then you hear more and more and more, and then the evidence stacks up. But I think it's important also to be balanced that it's not just problems with Thomas Tuchel. I don't think Thomas Tuchel was particularly happy with things either. So was he shocked? I I think there was an element of surprise, but I don't think in heart of hearts he's that disappointed because Chelsea is not the club now that it was back in May when he was enjoying working with Marina and Petacek. Not the same club. Dom, but as your piece on The Athletic today um, points out, that the same kind of ruthlessness, it turns out, from these owners. Do you think that they were reluctant to make this decision because of the kind of criticism that's going to come their way from, you know, meet the new guys, same as the old guys kind of thing? I doubt very much that they care about criticism on this decision. I, I suspect that they see this as something that they just needed to do to shape, to have the club run on on the football side with a long-term vision with somebody that they felt they could work with long-term. I I imagine that the the logic they'll apply to it is, well, okay, it is a a difficult decision to make. It's not one that we necessarily wanted to to make. When we we bought the club back in the end of May, um, we thought we could work with Thomas Tuchel. There's clearly been a breakdown of that relationship. The communication hasn't been what it should have been. Um, and that they, you know, once they've they've reached that conclusion, they've drawn that conclusion. It's better to get it done. I mean, I say that, but I mean the the thing that really confuses me most about it is the timing of of making this decision after six Premier League games and one Champions League match. Given that they, they clearly, you know, the the way that they've they've been able to go straight for for Graham Potter uh, as a as a successor um they've clearly been thinking about this for a while uh, was there not would there not have been more logic to have to have made the change you know last month before the closure of the transfer window before you're signing players like Obama Yang who who are clearly there because they wanted to work with Thomas Tuchel and that's that's the big for me that's that's the most strange aspect of all of this I'm sure we'll come on to Tuchel. I do feel sorry for him, um, given what he went through from March onwards. But that's what's confusing me in, in my head. But look, it's it's what the previous regime did on occasion. They didn't always act like that. I mean, I made the point in that piece that there were plenty of Chelsea managers who were dead men walking for an awfully long time at the club. I mean, all the Italian contingent, bar Di Matteo, were basically just saw out the seasons pretty much knowing that they were going to get the chop at the end of the season. Um, So it wasn't always how they, how they work, but, but the impression you get is of this ruthlessness. Uh, You know what? We'll have to revisit that in two or three years time and, and see whether the Tuchel successor has been given the proper patience and, and, and time to, to build and, and, and make this project his own. And uh, that's when we'll be able to judge whether these owners are the same as the previous ones. Um, it's it's not a great look at the moment, but I'm sure they'll just th- they'll just look at it as we want to make this our own project. We want to stamp this our own, imp- you know, make our own impression, make have have our own staff, have a complete break from the previous regime. And um, that's what's happened with the removal of Thomas Tuchel. 
On the pitch, Simon, the evidence for change has been there in, in a series of kind of limp and crummy performances at, at the start of the season. But I wonder if actually the, the seeds for this were sown in, in pre-season and, and you know the reports that Thomas Tuchel actually didn't particularly enjoy being involved to the extent that he was in, in the transfer, not negotiations, but targeting of players. And, and just the fact that he felt the shift in the culture of the club to, to wanting the manager to maybe do a bit more rather than just talk to better check if you've got a problem wasn't really suited to what Thomas Tuchel as a coach wants to have from his football club. Yeah, I mean I, I was in the um I was obviously on the pre-season tour when we we all sat down a group of journalists sat down and had had a a chat with him and and that was one of the things he talked about was was this sort of new responsibility on his shoulders of of sort of helping because of the departures of of Marina and so on that he had to step in a lot more and, and, and work on the transfer side of things and, and help out on that. I mean, obviously I'm not there with the complexities of just how much time that took. But for me, it doesn't sound like the worst thing in the world um, for a Chelsea manager to have an incredible amount of communication with owners about player signings. I mean, it's been a discussion that that was always a question mark over the, in the Abramovich era. You know how much say did a coach have? The Chelsea always maintained that they were conferred, and and certainly had their input. But you got the impression that Thomas Tuchel was being given license here to 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 have a big say, um, but he didn't particularly enjoy it and just wanted to get back to being a coach. And and even one of his final interviews with the Fifth Stand app um, last week ahead of the West Ham game. He was like, oh, I'm so relieved, you know, when 11 o'clock hit, I was, I was so relieved, you know, it was, it was the gist of what he was saying, because now I can go back to back to what I want to do, which is being a coach. But when you talk to people about, about the transfer window, it does sound like a significant factor in what's gone on. It's not the only reason he's lost his job, but it was certainly started to sow the seeds of discontent in that um, sources would tell me that, you know, he, he would flip-flop on things. That, For example, in the read, we, we, we mentioned how the powers that be were sort of going, well, what about Gabriel Jesus as a striker? And he said, no, I don't need a number nine. Don't need a number nine. And then a few months later, oh, I need a number nine. Um, similarly with a midfielder, he, he was like, I don't need a midfielder. Now, of course, there's there's been some, some uh, sort of developments, you know, with... Conte being injured, Kovacic pick up an injury in pre-season, so he's he's starting the season rough, you know, lacking match fitness, Jorginho's form, and suddenly I need a midfielder. So so I think there was Ronaldo is 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 clearly, you know, I think the board were were, were sort of quite keen on Ronaldo. He he was very anti-Ronaldo. So there there were sort of disagreements, but it's not just about that. I think I think there were concerns as well about the sort of playing of youngsters and 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 this is where we sort of get on to to Graham Potter they, they they want they want someone that is going to play these young guys that they're signing um they want a long-term guy that, that that's really going to have a pathway it's going to be difficult because there's so many other players already blocking their path but they they want someone there that's genuinely going to give these guys a chance and they've examined uh, boiler accounts they've examined the the form, the stats, the data. It's not just about the start to the season. They've gone right back, um, so I'm told, right back to the start of the year and looked at all the stats and, and just and have seen a negative downturn in performances. And then when you add rumblings of of his communication with the players was no longer the, as, as strong as it was when he first arrived, he seemed a bit more disconnected, um, his communication wasn't great. The thing is, I don't want this to be sort of old Thomas Tuchel, what an awful manager, because he's done a wonderful job. But in in explaining sort of why this has come to pass, that these are the factors that have led to this decision. I agree with Sai on that on that last point in particular. We 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 can't be too too critical of Tuchel. We have to remember what he did towards the end of last season in particular and that's that's ignoring the Champions League success and the silverware at the start of last season he carried that club publicly through a, one of the most difficult political takeovers unique circumstances 
pretty horrific. I mean, it was it was akin to a club being thrust into administration and still being expected to compete for a top four finish. So what he achieved last year in in steering them over the last three months, even even you know how good players, obviously top quality players, but he had to motivate them, and and he 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 got that top three finish in the end and narrowly missed out on two domestic cup finals on penalties. It was pretty impressive performance, but moreover, the way that he, he, the way that he conveyed Chelsea to the watching world in a really difficult time was really impressive, but it would have taken its toll on him. Definitely. And it's almost like having gone through that, endured all that, I suspect he probably pined for a a bit of normality Everything about Chelsea this summer has been abnormal. It hasn't been normal. We've got a, a situation where new owners have come in who, with the greatest respect, don't. They're learning on the hoof. They don't know how football works. They they don't have a director of football or a, a sporting director in place who would have made life in the transfer market a lot easier to to deal with. And and everything, as we've said before, everything's sort of happening backwards at Chelsea. You, even to the point now that there are potentially appointing a new head coach and they still don't have that director of football in place who is going to sort of dictate how they progress it has to be done in tandem so there was nothing normal about the situation in the summer and that too will have taken its toll on on Thomas Tuchel and I'm not surprised that he was being rather fractious and and his his mood has has been difficult I mean it must have been very very frustrating for him uh, to be honest but on the other hand there has to be a level of communication between a hierarchy and a manager or a head coach. There has, they have to be working together. And over the last few weeks, months, they clearly haven't been at Chelsea. So there was an inevitability that we'd reached this point. The surprise is that we've reached it after six games and not before, or that we haven't waited until an international window or we haven't waited until the World Cup mid-season. Um, and instead we're sort of now got to a stage where a new manager's got to come in and try and a manager with a long-term philosophy, a manager who who plans, who would have really cherished a pre-season with a new a new group of players, particularly a new group of high-caliber players, uh, and he's not going to have that opportunity because they've got midweek games every week now until the end of time. I just want to quickly um, provide some balance to what I was saying earlier about about the club sort of sort of transfer situation and and, and perhaps issues with, with Thomas Tuchel. I think there were also issues the other way and, and something we, we highlight in the read that, that, that Thomas Tuchel also obviously wanted his kind of players, uh, the targets that he wanted, um, players like DeLitt, Rafinha, etc. They're not at Chelsea. The, the players that, that he was keen for. I was speaking to someone on Wednesday and they were saying that he was frustrated over the the attacking recruitment, as in I, I I need to improve the attack. What what have I been left with? Of course, he got Raheem Sterling, and then on deadline day he gets Abamyang. It, it's not in terms of revolutionising that that forward that the problem that, that there's been for months um, in terms of Chelsea going forward. It's not an amazing solution um, to to sign Sterling. Great signing. And then a 33-year-old Aubameyang on deadline day. It, it doesn't tick a lot of boxes. So, as I said, as I was trying to make clear, it wasn't just owners having issues with Tuchel. I think there's issues with Tuchel the other way as well. He, he was disappointed with how some things turned out. Mm, yeah, complicated story, uh, no doubt. We, we hear a little bit about his relationships with players maybe having broken down. And I can tell you, certainly from my dealings with him, I always found him to be really respectful and courteous. And I know that a lot of my Chelsea TV colleagues really enjoyed working with him too. He made a big effort to get to know everybody's name and, and say hello to everybody every morning, which doesn't sound like much, but it's not something that's always happened. So I think he'll be well regarded. And I also wonder, Dom, if this is one of those situations where actually, in retrospect, this might work out well for everybody because Thomas Tuchel didn't get to the point where he was getting stick from Chelsea supporters at games. For example, he leaves with people saying, oh, that's a shock. Why have they got rid of him? His reputation is intact slash has been enhanced by his time at Chelsea. He'll walk into another top job, surely. Yeah, you'd imagine so. He doesn't 
tend to last an awfully long time any of the big clubs he manages so not, maybe not there's many a, do though do they no yeah. exactly and and the, there is a natural shelf life and the circumstances i mean look when the the takeover happened uh, when it became clear there was going to be a takeover i'm sure we 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 spoke on the podcast about the inevitability of change left right and center we spoke about marina granovskaya we spoke about petr Cech. i mean it's only it's only a natural extension of that to say that the head coach might might also change i mean it does happen i remember mentioning at one point again going back into the sort of comparisons with a team that's been in administration the sort of emotional hangover of a period where you're working you're, you're battling against the world and you you're feeling as everything's a struggle because you the money is money is gone overnight and i i refer back to to my club uh, you know very different circumstances palace were in administration they they got through it somehow uh, under steve Coppel, who was a hero in the same way that chelsea fans re- worshipped thomas tuchel um to the extent that they're they're buying T-shirts uh, with his name on, um, no, looking at you, Luce. Um <laughs> But then you know, couple new there's a change of ownership. They finally come out of administration. Pre-season is dreadful because all the players are knackered. They're just it's been a it's had a massive toll on them. Dreadful results in pre-season, and then Steve Coppel had gone pretty much by the start of the, the, the following campaign. And as it's transpired, the same pretty much has happened here at Chelsea. I, I think there's a when there isn't a regime change, things like this happen. But I agree with you. I, 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 Thomas Tuchel is now a Champions League winner. He he will go to into his next job as a Champions League winner, and, and I suspect it will be at a yeah a club that will be attempted to compete for that for that trophy again. So that was Thomas Tuchel. Just to reinforce what Dom was saying there, producer Lucy last season bought a Lukaku nine shirt. <laughs> uh, this season she bought a Thomas Tuchel jumper from the excellent art of football. Um, she is banned from buying any specific player or manager Chelsea. Uh, produce from this point onwards. Okay, we're going to get to the man likely to replace Thomas Tuchel soon, but I just wanted to read a couple of tweets uh, that were sent in to us from listeners. Here's a measured one from John. As a business owner, is it the worst thing to fire someone you deem you can't work with if that's what's happened? By the way, I'm not happy with the decision, but maybe there is reasonable context. Uh, Sam says this was Tuchel's project. Players were bought for him and he'd shown more than enough to be given time to implement his ideas. The fact certain players have outlived his reign is troubling to me. Uh, good point from Andrew here, a rear sporting director. Bowley wasn't hiding his intentions. He told everyone he's aggressive with every aspect of his business at the start of the summer. So what arrives next? A sporting director or a coach? The former usually picks the latter. Well, it looks as though it's the latter who's coming in first. Uh, here's Jonathan He says, Chelsea have been lost on the pitch because TT spent the summer as director of football instead of coach, thought the new ownership would give him more time, but certain things, e.g. bringing the game into disrepute post-Spurs, falling out with players, were always going to hurt him in their eyes. And last one here from the definitely their real name, Cuddly Whiskers. Is the decision itself that surprising? We've been playing turgid football for such a long time. I think it's more the brutality of how the decision has been made. So Tuchel is out. We're recording on Thursday morning. Word is Maurizio Pochettino and, according to Sky, Ruben Amarin, the sporting manager, have both been sounded out by Chelsea. But Graham Potter is clearly the favourite. He's arrived at Brighton's training ground this morning, Thursday, uh, supposedly to say goodbye. Reports that Chelsea have a verbal agreement in place with him. I should point you in the direction at this juncture of the excellent Potter analysis up on The Athletic Now. Mark Carey, John Muller and Liam Tham have teamed up to tell you all about what GP will bring to CFC, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to subscribe uh, if you aren't currently a subscriber. Chelsea have moved really swiftly here, Simon. Presumably this means that, that Potter has been somebody they've been looking at for a while and, and that's not in a kind of, hey, we can't wait to get rid of Thomas Tuchel. That's a, a due diligence you know, looking further down the line as to who the coach might be. They might not have expected it to be this soon, but he's somebody they've had an eye on. Yeah, I mean, I think a, a really good um, indication um, of their admiration for Potter and how long it's been there <laughs> albeit they've only been there themselves for a hundred days. I hasten to add, as a point I hadn't made, was that the owners had always planned to review everything after a hundred days. So hence the timing of the Tuchel announcement, perhaps that puts that into further perspective. Um, but as we detail in in the big read on this, when uh, negotiations with Brighton 
and and certainly negotiations with Cucurella uh, were going on, it was pretty. It came pretty evident that Todd Bowley knew an awful lot about Graham Potter, um, was asking questions about Graham Potter. Now that's not to sort of say that the two are connected, etc. But it, it just shows that there was already an admiration for him. They're aware of him and, and what he, what kind of coach he is. And, you know, th- things have progressed very quickly. I mean, Graham Potter has had a chance to leave Brighton before. Uh, for example, Tottenham were very keen on him um, before appointing Antonio Conte. He actually turned it down. Um, Graham Potter isn't money hungry. He's obviously going to get a significant pay rise, but that won't be his main motivation for taking the job. He he obviously will feel like he can do something at Chelsea with these owners that perhaps he wouldn't have been able to do at Tottenham at the time. And it is a very interesting appointment because when you make such a bold call to get rid of a Champions League winning manager, you're clearly sort of thinking not just about winning trophies, it's about the way you want the team to be run and the way you want the team to to play football. And Graham Potter has done a wonderful job at Brighton. But you can imagine he's now walking to a club where winning, there is a winning culture. And and we're going to actually get to see how good he is at trying to implement this fantastic style of football that he's brought at Brighton into a club where you lose a game and it's a disaster. At Brighton, lose a game, yeah, the fans might sort of moan and hiss a little bit as we saw at the back end of last season. But there were never any suggestions he was going to lose his job. He had a wonderful setup there, wonderful um, bond with Paul Barber, etc. But now he's going to have to operate under greater scrutiny than he's ever been in his life. And the challenge that he also faces is that the season has started and we're now in the midweek weekend, midweek weekend um, schedule that will pretty much dominate Chelsea's season as long as they're in the cup competitions. But I'm looking forward to seeing his style of play, um, but it might take a while. And will the owners, they've got to back this decision now. When you agree to pay this kind of compensation and it's sizable, then uh, you've got to kind of back yourself that you've made the right call. Clearly uh, a coach in great form, a clever bloke too. He's got a master's in leadership and emotional intelligence, which should help him deal with Simon at press conferences uh, on Friday <laughs> at Cobham. Um, Dom, it's a risk from both sides though, isn't it? Obviously from Potter's perspective, as, as Simon's pointed out there, he's leaving one of, if not the most stable, well-run football club in the Premier League at the moment. Um, but also from a Chelsea perspective, this is a guy who's never managed in the Champions League before, who you could say has never dealt with, with superstar players and the egos and agents that come attached with that. So it's not just Potter who's taken a risk here. Chelsea are too. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. And it's he's a manager that's or a head coach who who hasn't worked with players of the calibre of Thiago Silva, of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang or Koulibaly. Um, and he's going to have to impress those guys as much as they're going to have to impress him. And it's we're back into that sort of you know, back in I mean it's not quite it's not quite A V B walking into the dressing room with, with Lampard, Drogba, Terry, etc. But it's it's something akin to it. Uh this appointment only works if if uh, Graham Potter is given assurances that the ownership will be will be patient and will give him proper time to implement his his philosophy and his 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 approach to the game and, and and it took time at Brighton, you know, the first season at Brighton, they finished 15th. Um, there were seven points clear of, of relegation. And I, th- I think they probably, they, I think it was a period where they used to get a spurt of good results right at the end of the campaign that sort of hauled them away from trouble. Um, usually beating Manchester United at home en route. They actually finished 16th in his second season, but it's, it's not something that he can just go in there and, and, Right, this is how we're going to play, boys. It's, it's something that it takes it takes time. I think with him, well, it has done so far. Maybe may, may that's slightly different if the if the general caliber of player is quality of player is, is is raised. But I'd imagine it would take a period of time for of adjustment. Uh, and as Sai makes a, a great point, that, that they are playing 
every midweek forever now. They, they, they just, there's no period. You can't even look at the international window and think, oh, well, there's an opportunity for him to get his squad together and try and get his ideas across because they'll all disappear off to other all parts of the globe and he'll be left with the youth team and, and you know, the rejects, etc. at, at Cobham. So I, I don't know quite when he's supposed to to start implementing this properly in, in, a, in a way that would allow him to be in, in, intense about it. How many training sessions is he actually going to have to change things? It's so, yeah, it's a, it's a risk. It's a risk on, on all sides. It's, you're absolutely right. It's, but it's a bold appointment and it's a, it's, it's an exciting one and, and it's one to be, to welcome. It reflects brilliantly on Brighton. It really shows how well they've done in the last few years. I mean, how well he's done there, and the fact that Chelsea seem to be, uh, you know, they're buying Brighton's best players. That they they were happy to loan their t- talented Levi Colwell down there to to Brighton, and I mean, it's it's it does show what a good job he did there, and how 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 their planning has 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 worked to perfection. And if it doesn't re- work at Chelsea. If if we're in a situation in six months, ten months, where where you know Potter hasn't got his ideas across, and we're talking about a replacement, then I think it actually reflects badly on the club and not on him necessarily, because I think it's a it's a difficult thing for him to go in and it'll only work if he gets the time. I, I think it, you know you can you can see what the owners want to do when you sort of look at the LA Dodgers was very much sort of who, of course, Todd Bowley co-owns, Mark Walter co-owns, that they have installed guys that have been there for years. And that that's the that's the dream, that's the plan, is to have Graham Potter, you're there for years, these young guys that they've been signing, for, like Chuck Wemico, for example, they're there for years, Reese James, long contract, these guys on long contracts, that there's going to be this sort of five, six year plan. It, it, it sounds wonderful and almost utopia. The the problem is, is football doesn't work that way. Well, Chelsea doesn't work that way. And the pressure is going to be enormous when results start going wrong. That that That's when these owners are going to have to be bold and stick by this, this plan. But at the same time, you know, the summer you got the impression, yes, they were realistic that a title bid, they weren't thinking, yeah, we're going to win the league first first straight out of the bat. But top four is really important to them. And so what happens if Chelsea are languishing in mid-table and as Graham, Graham tries to sort of completely revolutionise Chelsea's style of play, they're going to have to either back themselves for the decision they've made or they're going to be under pressure. And you can imagine the fans will then question this decision even more. But on an upbeat note, and I'm sure there are a lot of Chelsea fans that don't care about this, this is also refreshing that there's an English coach getting a top job. Now, I know people go Frank Lampard, but sort of Frank got the job in unusual circumstances because of the transfer ban, etc., etc. This is a... A, a real sort of big appointment, spending a fortune in compensation, and as I've already mentioned, he, he's paid well at Brighton, but he's going to get another pay rise on top. This is a big backing for an English coach, and it's uh, for many years. Sort of, you, you've read columnists lamenting how English coaches don't get top jobs. Well, Graham Potter's getting one of the uh, the best jobs, not just in 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 England, but in Europe. Dom, how do you think uh, Levi Colwell, Billy Gilmore, and Mark Correa are feel, <laughs> feeling this morning? <laughs> I think Correa is probably quite happy. I think he he had a, had a great time under onto Potter last season, and and I don't think there'll be any issues there. I feel I feel for Billy Gilmore. I mean, blimey! I mean, that must have been one of the motivations for going to Brighton, uh, and he's you know within five minutes to to see that the man that, that that brought you there leaving to to go off to to the club you've just left I mean I actually think that's 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 more dispiriting for him than than Pierre Emerick Aubameyang's issue in terms of you know losing Tuchel um after joining Chelsea but that said and this this pains me as a Crystal Palace supporter to say this but Brighton and Hove Albion will be fine Brighton and Hove Albion will have a 
will have some kind of plan for what happens next. And it won't be that far removed from Graham Potter's philosophy because Potter fitted into how that club operate. Um, so whoever comes in, he's not going to rip it up and suddenly decide they're not going to want Billy Gilmore. So Billy Gilmore's progression will still be will still be fine. And, and, and actually, the, the same for Colwell. I think that the strength of the relationship between Brighton and Chelsea probably ensures that, that 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 he will be okay although he's not playing very much at the moment and uh uh yeah breaking into into that Brighton well you'll just have to impress the new, the new manager in in charge I guess uh, but look Brighton will be fine um this is I know I know there are a lot of Brighton supporters who are frustrated at what's happened here it is what they did to Swansea I mean this they, they went and got Potter from Swansea after a year in the championship and it is it sort of feels like the natural order of things but as i said before it's scant consolation for them but it does show how well they've done in the last few years everything that's happened this summer the the, the profits they've made on players the progression the fact that they're still fourth and 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 absolutely tearing it up in the division at this at the moment um despite selling so much talent in the in the summer it it just shows it shows the advantage of long-term planning um, I have come under an incredible amount of pressure on social media over the last 24 hours to make some kind of Harry Potter pun. Um, I'm not going to do that because I'm not a Harry Potter guy. So, Simon, let's move on. Um, sporting director, that's got to be the next thing that happens, right? And, and how much of a of a disadvantage is it for whoever comes into that position that they haven't picked the new manager slash head coach? Or, or would you know anybody who comes into this role, if you're going to say who would you pick as your manager slash head coach, most of them would go for Graham Potter at the moment. Yeah, and and I think I think it's ideally yes, the new sporting director would have a say in the new manager, but I think it's slightly overblown the importance of that. You know, the owners are always of any club, not not just Chelsea. The owners are always going to pick who they want to pick. Um, at the end of the day, a sporting director is going to be employ an employee, and it's it's not like. Um, yeah, you, you can imagine uh, uh, any sporting director would sort of have gone to the owners and gone, yeah, go go after this guy that's in the top four on a <laughs> playing beautiful football on a fraction of the budget. That you, you know, his name would have been on the list anyway. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't read too much into that. I think it's more significant on the player transfer sort of side of things um, that there is that that person that will help. Also. You, don't forget that these owners, you know, it wasn't the plan for them to be this hands-on. It, it sort of, it sort of stumbled into it a little bit. I don't think on day one they were thinking, right, we're going to do everything, um, and it's certainly not the long-term goal. Um, yes, they will, they will still obviously be involved in Chelsea Football Club, but they have other businesses to run, and if you look at the way that they, I've already mentioned, they they have stakes in other sporting franchises, their main way of operating is find the right people, put them in charge, get them to run it. And I think that is the long-term goal of, of Chelsea. And the sporting director, of course, they they want to get done as soon as possible. The, 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 uh, the deadline was always to make sure it was before the January window. But from what I understand, they, they've, they, they've already got targets in mind that we were talking about only a few days ago before the deadline shut, that they will go back in for Alvarez, they will go back in for Guardiol. So that's another thing that the, sport, and the next sporting director will have to face, is that the owners already have in, the, in mind players they want to go out and buy. The new sporting director has has to have a relationship and with that works with with Potter though I mean that that mm. has to be tight they have to but I mean it's it's more as, as Sai says it's more about fitting the, the pieces of the jigsaw I think they're doing it in the wrong the wrong order but you know that is the way it's worked out the other thing to bear in mind is that the, the sporting director he's largely being appointed to ensure that Chelsea don't have to go out and spend 270 million pounds or whatever it was every summer that mm. that, that they can one of the, the main attractions that um, well, one of the main benefits of, of Potter at Brighton was that he could, he did develop players, and and and, and there was this this brilliant, actually almost on the quiet process of 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 them signing a load of players. I mean, some some players who who spent twelve months, twenty four months 
playing at other clubs before they arrived at Brighton from all around the world really and then and then almost fitted seamlessly into the team because they they'd all they'd been planning for that again the jigsaw pieces fitting into place and that that's the panacea is that's what you need to, that's what Chelsea want to do at a at a higher level I mean I know Brighton are in the Champions League places at the moment but you know will they be there at the end of the season that's that's a different debate it's, it's Chelsea want to want to do that at that top level and and that that will ensure that they don't have to go and have these these splurges because we have to remember that Clear Lake Capital ultimately they want to be making a profit here and and at the moment well the summer they they're nowhere near they're 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 playing a massive game of catch up on that front but the idea is that you know if they do plan long term that that, that they won't need quite some so much of an overhaul every summer they can just make minor tweaks and introduce younger players etc and that that the progression comes that way. Uh, Simon, lest we forget, Chelsea have got a game on Saturday. It's the early kickoff against Fulham at Craven Cottage. If Potter's in situ for that, I guess it's a, an easier one for him to plan for, given he was there last week with Brighton, albeit they lost that game. Uh, he's going to bring his own staff with him. If they're not in place for Saturday, are we thinking Anthony Barry takes the team for that one? And then Barry's long-term future, I guess, is, is up for speculation as well. We know how highly rated he is, not just within Chelsea, but but also elsewhere in football. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, if, as is often the case, current staff leave uh, as a result of a new man coming in, um, I don't think he's going to struggle. I mean, he's, he's he actually, Thomas Tuchel, persuaded him not to take a few jobs uh, over the past 18 months because he valued him so highly. Although, I hasten to add, um, at the start of the season, he's, he's, he's one of his day jobs, sort of taking care of set pieces, um, Chelsea defensively from set pieces has been awful, so it's his stock. His stock is um, uh, not at its highest rights now, but no, I mean, you know, it's, it's not. It's not. People aren't going to sort of suddenly after a few games just think oh, he's no good anymore. He 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 he's done a wonderful job for Chelsea, and, and he's a very bright young coach. It, it was actually it takes me back to Zagreb where. You could really pick up on the mood of the place. I, I, I was stood right opposite the 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 door where the Chelsea players and staff emerged, and um, they were all coming out in ones and looking miserable and inevitably rejecting requests for an interview. And um, Thomas Tuchel emerged. Of course, turned out to be the last time I saw him. Would see him um, at great pace and just stormed off. And then a really tense-looking Anthony Barry followed him. And, um, yeah, you sort of think of all the times he, he's had a sort of such a big smile on his face. His things have been going so well for him. But I, that really struck an image, struck a chord with me. He just went, yeah, you know, he's he he looked like a guy that wasn't enjoying life at the moment. But, um, you know, if, if Graham Potter decides that he's not for him, then, then someone else will clearly snap him up very quickly. Well, listen, you might well know by now whether it's going to be Barry Potter or both in the dugout at Craven Cottage on Saturday. Whatever happens in that game against Fulham, we will, of course, review it in our Monday pod. Next today, though, we're going to shift gears and look ahead to the new WSL season, which starts this weekend. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Hi, it's Lindsay Hooper here, host of the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Are you still buzzing from the Euros this summer? I know I am. Excited to see the players back in action as the WSL season kicks off? Well, make sure you tune into our weekly podcast because we've got you covered every step of the way. We'll have interviews with the top players in the women's game, plus former pros like Kelly Smith and Karen Bardsley and many more. Just follow or subscribe to the Athletic Women's Football Show wherever you get your podcasts.
Chelsea begin the defence of their WSL title this weekend as the Blues kick off the new campaign with a game against West Ham at Stamford Bridge. Normally, Jesse Parker Humphreys will handle women's team biz for us, but they've had the temerity to go on holiday. Fear not, we've got a high calibre replacement. Please join me in giving a warm welcome to straight out of Cobham 2, the athletic Charlotte Harper. Uh, Charlotte, great to have you on. First question, Chelsea have made a load of new signings this summer. Kadisha Buchanan, Johanna Kanarid, Katarina Svitkova, Eve Perise and Yelena Kankovic. We kind of felt that the squad could do with a bit of a refresh despite their dominance. Do you think these are all high calibre replacements who are, who are coming in to have an immediate impact? I think they are, Matt. Um, you know, they're very versatile. Chelsea now have a lot of options and most importantly, a lot of depth. I know we're going to be speaking about the Champions League later on and, and that will be crucial throughout the season, but it allows them to be flexible in the formation that they want to use. And the new signings are experienced internationals and they will provide competition for places to maintain those standards in training and, and in match play. And I guess they might mitigate against any kind of early Euros hangover. You know, obviously England went all the way and there was heavy Chelsea representation in that squad and Frank Kirby's picked up an injury since then. So so they might need these players to hit the ground running just in case there there is a bit of a hangover from that magnificent summer. Absolutely. Just having that confidence that you can rotate very easily and all these signings coming in are not new to high-level football like Kadisha Buchanan, Canadian from Lyon, Olympic gold medalist, five times Champions League winner. And yet you still have options with Millie Bright, Magdalena Eriksson, Jess Carter at the back. So she can play, you know, a back three or a back four. Again, adding that versatility, very good on the ball. Ev Parise, she shone at the Euros um, for France. Um, very impressive and, and can push forward and play in that wing back role as well. Another option. So Emma Hayes can pick and choose and and perhaps that will be at the start of the season of what will be our best starting 11 and and that will be really interesting to see. And and do you think that also they will kind of compensate against any potential complacency because Chelsea have had it all their own way in the WSL for the last three seasons. I know Arsenal ran them close last time round but do you think that you know there, there are going to be other strong challenges this season or is it kind of Chelsea's to lose again? I think it's Chelsea's to lose again. Um, Arsenal will be their closest rivals. Um, Jonas Edeval will definitely want to take it to Chelsea. We see, we saw him on the touchline and that um, understandable kind of managerial competition between Emma Hayes and Jonas Edeval. Uh, Manchester City, we've seen how many outgoings uh, there and Kira Walsh moving to Barcelona. That's a huge loss. Um, so it has to be Chelsea. And, and with these reinforced signings, you just think Chelsea have a look like they have more depth than Arsenal at the moment. And continuity of manager, uh, which is something that this particular Chelsea team does very well. Um, the Champions League, mind you, is not something that went particularly well last season. Now in the group stages, that's an obvious area for improvement, isn't it? When, when we've had uh, Flo Lloyd-Hughes on in the past, she's spoken about quite a big gulf between the English teams and, and the top contenders for the Champions League for, from elsewhere in Europe. Do you think that Chelsea can bridge that gap a little bit this season? They have to. In order to keep up with Lyon, Barcelona, Wolfsburg, they have to bridge that gap. Um, they went toe to toe with Leon in the uh, in the US at the International Champions Cup. Um, they were two 0 up against the European champions Leon, and then lost out on penalties. But um, Emma Hay said that lots of lessons learned in that tournament. Um, but Chelsea have been really disappointing in, in the Champions League for the last season, um, and they really need to get back to that. Um, semi-final, final place if they want to rubber stamp their mark in the European competition. Um, so finally then, it's it's West Ham first up on Sunday at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea have played at Stamford Bridge on a couple of occasions in the past. What's your view on, on WSL teams doing this? Because I know some people think it's great and other people think it's only good if you get a full or fullish stadium. Do you, do you think this is something we're going to see more often? And, and I guess more tickets will be sold based on what's happened here in the summer. Exactly. Clubs are expecting uh, higher attendances and then to stage the opening weekend at Stamford Bridge 
they're hoping for a near sellout stadium. They haven't released exact numbers, but they've got to be expecting people to turn up to Stamford Bridge and, and support their club, especially after the Euros. I think it's a similar scenario to the Euros when we were having that discussion about bigger stadiums, uh, smaller stadiums, um, but absolutely full to the brim. So if you've got a bustling King's Meadow uh, packed to the rafters and creating a really hostile environment, you have that home advantage. And if Stamford Bridge or any other men's stadium for is at their home ground and it's half empty and a bit eerie, you don't have that home advantage. You lose it straight away. And so it's that balance between creating a home fortress, but also allowing the women's game to be played at bigger stadiums for more fans to go and watch. The question is, is that Kings Meadow is Chelsea women's home and, and they want to make use of that facility because it's been dedicated to them but also balancing that with fixtures sprinkled out through the season at Stamford Bridge now as a fan you want to watch your players in those big stadiums and oh, we were discussing with the Football Association of how many fixtures we can have at men's stadiums to improve that the, the biggest problem is scheduling and the quality of the pitch and because you're sharing a ground between the men's and women's and, and that's just not sustainable. So this debate will go on and on, but hopefully people turn out in their numbers. It's sold out on Sunday and, and that's proof that they should have more at uh, Stamford Bridge. I know Emma Hayes has previously said that it's a balancing act because you want to create that hostile environment at Kings Meadow. Uh, Charlotte, before we let you go, uh, you got a piece up on The Athletic this morning about the banning order legislation that's coming in to women's football now. Obviously, this was sparked by an incident that happened during a Chelsea game last season. Can you tell us a bit more? Yes, this has been quite a long one. <laughs> so in December, Chelsea played against uh, Juventus. Uh, there was a man who was a member of the club and he invaded the pitch. Um, he was waltzing around the centre circle uh, Magdalena Eriksson pointed where he should go to the stands phone in hand taking a video selfies and Sam Kerr had enough body checked him to the floor to much to the crowd's delight stewards then ushered him off the pitch Sam Kerr was shown a yellow card Chelsea were fined 2,500 euros um, for not uh, preventing the pitch invasion and the uh, club member, the fan who invaded the pitch, was suspended. Now, the police were, wasn't there. Uh, the Metropolitan um, Police confirmed that no arrest was made. So I looked into this and it was apparent that this fixture was under a designated match because they were playing Juventus and Juventus's home ground is abroad. So the only technicality that this match would be covered under the football banning old legislation was just by chance they were playing a, a team from overseas. If it had been a domestic game, if it had been Chelsea against Arsenal, it wouldn't have counted as a designated match. So that person wouldn't have been able to be arrested because the offence of a pitch invasion only counts at a designated match. So I took this um, wrote the report and uh, Tracy Crouch, the former sports minister, also wrote a letter to the government saying you need to look into this. It's uh, a legal loophole which is putting players at risk and men are afforded an extra layer of legal protection than women. Yes, that fan could have been arrested under general public order legislation, but that's just like us playing in the park and if somebody assaulted someone or public indecency. But, you know, football banning orders were put in place for a particular reason. Now the government have changed the law and it clearly says in the Football Spectators Act and the Football Offences Act, under the definition of women's Super League and women's championship games are included uh, under both laws. So uh, the Scottish Professional Women's League is not included, whereas the men's are. Uh, it doesn't go down to the same steps as the men's games with the National League. So that's another thing to look into. Um, but it was just extraordinary that you couldn't be arrested for this particular offence. And the police 
didn't know that they could arrest. Stewards need to know that they can arrest. And especially after the Euros, we're going to see um, more attention. Players are more in demand, bigger attendances, particularly if we're playing at the men's stadiums. Even against England, against Luxembourg, there was um, a female who entered the pitch after the game, went up to hug Millie Bright. So there will be more incidents on the rise. And there is a certain time frame of when you kind of the women's game is perhaps going to turn into the men's game. We've always had that discussion and people were just so ecstatic and really enjoyed the Euros final because of the kind of celebratory atmosphere around it. The Metropolitan Police that confirmed there were no arrests made, no disorder whatsoever. That is a huge contrast to the men's Euros final. So it's we we, we need to be proactive and not reactive. And I'm I'm very glad that this law has uh, been updated and you know women's players in the WSL and the championship are afforded the same player protection as the men are. There you go. Listener Athletic Writers, not just bringing you brilliant journalism, but changing the law as well. Um, Charlotte, thanks so much for your time today. We'll speak to you soon, I'm sure. Thanks so much, Matt. Cheers. Charlotte Harper there. Read her in The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-19s had a poor start to their UEFA Youth League campaign. They were beaten 4-2 by Dinamo Zagreb on Tuesday. The continually impressive Leo Castledine got a brace and Jude Soonsup Bell, remember him, missed a penalty. It means Ed Brand's team could do with a win when they face Salzburg on Wednesday of next week. Coming up this weekend, the Dev squad hosts Liverpool on Sunday lunchtime, whilst the under-18s welcome Norwich to Cobham. We'll let you know how they get on on Monday's show. Uh, right, if you thought, like Dom did on the group chat, that all this oh, managerial news would mean we wouldn't do a quiz this week, I'm afraid you are dead wrong. Listener, if you could see the expressions on the Zoom, producer Lucy is cackling whilst the other two put their heads in their hands. Uh, it's Fulham and Chelsea. So answer me these questions three. Dom, you're up first. <laughs> Trevor Chalibur plays for Chelsea. Nathaniel Chalibur plays for Fulham. Where were the Chalibur brothers born? <laughs> I wouldn't laugh too hard, Simon. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 a laughter of what the. Um, Sierra Leone. Oh, he's got it. Absolutely oh, well perfect. Done. Would you have got that, Simon? Oh yeah, yeah. If, well, if my brain was working, yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's test that. No, it's hate, not. You're going to hate me. Which current Fulham really player's do. sister resigned as the shadow <laughs> secretary of state for women and equalities this time last year? Next. <laughs> which current which current Fulham player's sister resigned as the Shadow Secretary of State for Women and Equalities this time last year? Wow. Pretty simple question. Wow. I'm trying to think of a Fulham player right now, to be honest. <laughs> Just keep saying Don't go for it. I'm, I'm, I'm past the point of caring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to take a 5-0 defeat today. Um... I, I, mm, it's a really. I, I, I'm wondering why there isn't an athletic feature about this, but maybe I'm there just is. Saying, I'm teeing you up to write the next long. Long <laughs> long <laughs> long oh, and I want additional reporting by Matt Davis Adams to be written at the bottom of this, please. Gonna have to hurry. You Daniel James. Oh, it's close, but I mean, it's not really. It's just wrong. Bobby de Cordova Reed, his sister, really? is the Labour oh, MP, yeah. Marsha de Cordova. If only I'd given it more thought. Very well, good. I mean, like it. Yeah. Great feature. Uh, okay, Dom, here's your second question. Mm. 
Gonzalo Higuain scored in a 2-1 win at Craven Cottage in 2019. Honestly, he did. I'll double-check that. Uh, he's still <laughs> playing today. Who is his manager? Oh. Playing? He's playing in... Uh, Phil Neville. Absolutely correct. He's two for two. Well done. At Inter Miami. It's really good stuff. Uh, even if even if I was conscious, I don't think I'd be getting these. <laughs> Listen, I'm sticking religiously to this quiz as written because I wrote this podcast on Tuesday and I had to throw it all in the bin other than this section. <laughs> okay. So we're doing it. Uh, second question for you, Simon. Who scored a hat-trick at Craven Cottage in Chelsea's 3-1 win there in 2014? 2014. Oh, I was at that. I must have been there, but... 14. Is that 13, 14 or 14, 15? Can you help uh, me with that? I, don't know. I can give you a clue if you like, just because... Oh, please. I feel bad. Played for both. Yeah, I've got that. Played for both. Oh, I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> so do the audience, don't worry. <laughs> Um, I just, I just can't. Andre Scherler. Correct. Very good. Well done. Good lad. I'm delighted to get consolation going today. <laughs> well, you're not consolation. You've got you're still you're a chance here. Uh, Dom's got to get this right. Who got the only goal of the game the last time Chelsea played at Craven Cottage? It was in January 2021. <sighs> oh, um, oh, I thought that was an. That was that was in a. Yeah, so that was under Lampard towards um, when things were mm. difficult, if I remember rightly. Was it in... Anthony Robinson got sent off, which helped. Yeah, God, I thought it was an own goal. Um, Mason Mount. Correct, he's correct. Oh, well, that, that was Damn, a massive I... guess. And sorry, that was a huge guess. I thought I thought it was an own goal. Was it not I was like, oh, it, was I it? actually know this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Mason Mount is my stock answer whenever someone, whenever Matt asks me who scored the goal. You should have said Darren Barnard. <laughs> Bantam last yeah, week. That's a better score. <laughs> You're going to love this last one, Simon, particularly because it doesn't even matter if you get it right. Name the <laughs> six clubs that Fulham midfielder Nathaniel Chalaber had loan spells at whilst at Chelsea. Wow. Oh, my word. Wow. Six. Wow. Watford. Watford is one. Swansea. Swansea is not. Oh. Uh, wow. He went to a Welsh club. Uh, Reading? Reading is correct. Uh, Middlesbrough? Middlesbrough is correct. Blimey, sir, this is good. I'm, I'm happy with three. I almost feel like declaring <laughs> <laughs> cricket analogies. Like, uh, God, three more. He went to six, did he? Mm. I, think, I know he went to loan a lot, but six Premier League clubs. No, I didn't say Premier League clubs. Are you in six clubs? Yeah. Oh, I'm struggling now, to be honest. Coventry? No. Um, I think I'll stop there. I'll just be happy with three. The fact okay. That... Dom, do you want to uh, pick up on any? I, the only one I would say, didn't he go somewhere ridiculous like Napoli or someone like that? Somewhere, somewhere yes. Udinese or Napoli or something crap? Yes, Napoli right. is correct. Yes. I, I, I don't know the others. I haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue. Uh, the full list. Watford, Nottingham Forest, Middlesbrough, Burnley, Reading and Napoli. Wow. You said Forest, didn't you? I did say Forest. Yeah, I had Forest. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Forest crept in my head and I just went, yeah, and then I talked myself out of it. But anyway. Saw him well done, Dom. Good work. Forest at, at, at Millwall. Nobody cares about that. And well done, Dom, <laughs> though. There's no doubt you're the form horse here. Um, Simon, you had a... Pretty easy fixture against Sam last week, but um, we'll, we'll give you the excuse of the fact that you've had a. No, we drew that. It, it was a draw last week. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, which is a good result for you. Um, so, so I'm I'm almost turning into uh, yeah, Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right before we go, uh, we we've mentioned it in passing a couple of times. Liam's going to have a big read up on uh, Thomas Tuchel's time at Chelsea that will be available very soon if not by the time you hear this Dom give us another plug for your piece please yeah look it was a it was a sort of immediate reaction piece about the ruthlessness of 
the ownership and and the strategy and the breakdown of communication that that went out on Wednesday uh, afternoon um, and I'm sure I, I'm working on other stuff around how the new manager copes with the well as we we touched upon in in, in the pod how, we, how he copes how he implements ideas when they have so many midweek fixtures and how many training sessions he needs to get his ideas across. Simon, you've been on the Athletic Football Podcast this morning, right? And I'm guessing you're just going to be writing about Graham Potter slash Chelsea ad nauseum. Yeah, I've been talking now for two hours and I'm sure it doesn't sound that way. It's not coming across at all. Um, but yeah, no, my life is is now devoted. It's gone to pot. Let, let's keep that joke going, Dom. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't a good joke in the first place. It wasn't. No, you didn't like it. No, it, no one likes my joke. I, I came out with some shockers off in in the uh, players' <laughs> tunnel um, whilst being snubbed by players, and they were walking out with a certain brand of pizza, um, and uh, and we were sort of debating what kind of um, this is a terrible joke. So I, I expect you're pizza. really giving this. It's, it's the length. Yeah, I'm setting myself up. Out. So, so I, yeah, but I was met by stony faces when I dropped it as well. I said, um, uh, we were talking about what kind of pizza it was, and I said, well, they could have done with some pepperoni passion. Tumbleweed in there, Lucy. Please tumbleweed that. Please tumbleweed that. Well, the dominoes have fallen in terms of Thomas Tuchel's hey. time at Chelsea, but they've been Pizza Express in getting his replacement in. I think oh, we could all agree oh. on that. Um, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod. Go there, sign up. It'll only cost you a pound a month for your first six months. Please listen next week. Uh, you know, don't, don't don't hold that horrific joke against me. Do you remember when uh, Matt launched that ridiculous tirade against Papa John's at one point? Papa John's is the worst kind of pizza. There we go. <laughs> Oh, we're on to something. Let's let's do a B-side, a sort of spin-off. Seriously, though, if anyone from Pizza Express is listening, um, feel free to deliver me some pizzas. They are okay. Um, That'll do it for today. We better get out of here before I get in any more trouble. Thanks to Charlotte Harper for joining us earlier, and to Dom and Simon too, and to Lucy, who's got a hell of a job getting this into some kind of shape for you to listen to. We'll be back on Monday. Join us for our next show. If you can, we'll be looking back on Fulham, looking ahead to Salzburg. Plenty more in between from all of us here, though. For now, it's goodbye. The Athletic.